Hey, how you doing people? It's that time of week again, Thursday, so that means another edition of Echo Chamber. So, as we do each week, we're going to start off with the top 10. So, this is for the week of um, the 16th to the 18th. Alright, so, at number 10, we have Smallfoot. At number nine, we've got Suspiria, and that's the remake of Suspiria. Um, at number eight, we've got Johnny English Strikes Again. At number seven, we've got The Nutcracker and The Four Realms. At number six is um, Burn the Stage, the movie. It's, um, yeah, I think it's one of these event things, you know what I mean? So, yeah, but that, that's gone in at number six. At number five, we've got A Star Is Born. At number four, we've got Widows. And, um, yep, yeah, you can find my uh, review of that in the first edition of the London Film Festival edition of this very same podcast. At number three, we have Bohemian Rhapsody. This week, dropping down to number two, is The Grinch. And at number one, and I don't think it's any surprise to anyone whatsoever, it is Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grimwald. So yeah, no surprise. Probably that's going to be at number one for a little while, I would imagine. Um, but you know, we will we'll see. Maybe it all changes next week. Who knows? But you can find out by tuning in to Echo Chamber. That's right, people. Okay, so this week we're just going to be talking about one film. But I believe this is a, and it's an important thing, is because it's history and it helps to fill in the gaps that we don't know. You know, when we're taught about the war, we're only taught certain things. And so this film, yeah, it, it lets us know other things that happened, other people that were culpable. You know, it, it's things that you don't know. Um, so we're, I'm going to review and then afterwards I'm going to play an interview for you that I did with the director, Catherine Lurie, and one of the um, participants of the film, Marco Katz. Okay, so um, yeah, I hope you find it interesting. Um yeah, so here we go. Hey. So I've just watched a um, a documentary called Back to Berlin. It's directed and written by Catherine Lurie. And the, the, the story, it's something that I have never heard of. I didn't know anything about this. It was never taught at school. It's never come up in any books. I've um I've read around the war any other film or documentary I've read around the war, so I think 
it's really interesting. And so basically, Back to Berlin follows the incredible journey of 11 motorcyclists across nine countries and 4,500 500 kilometers as they undertake a mission to take the Maccabea torch from Israel to the Olympia Stadion in Berlin, the site of the infamous 1936 Olympics for the first Jewish Olympic Games on German soil since World War Two. They retraced the heroic that they retraced the heroic journeys of the original nineteen thirties Maccabean riders and discover how they or their families survived or perished in the Holocaust. This is narrated by Jason Isaacs and it mixes archival footage with the events of this 2015 journey. Um, and so it yeah it mixes the old footage and um, recountments from people who were there or whose parents grandparents relatives were there um yeah so that's the thing but one thing um that is very interesting really is a lot of the facts in this that you don't you've never heard of you know um i think what we're always taught is you know what germany did in the war and the lead up to the war you know the propaganda the atrocities you know just yeah just the fallout of the holocaust that that that's what we hear and that's what yeah uh, i think a lot of films and documentaries talk about but i think some of the things that we don't really know it's like um so between the 4th of March and the 2nd of August in 1943 40,000 Jews were taken um, from Thessaloniki in Greece to um, Auschwitz and you know it was 19 train loads so that's 45,000 on 19 trains. So you can imagine how packed in they were. And out of all of those people that were taking, taken, fewer than 2,000 actually survived. 
which is is just horrific um you know between 1944 and 45 15 to 26000 jews and romanian and um sorry romanis were killed uh, by Hungarian fascists, um, and then they would like they were dumped in the Danube River. It's just never never heard of that. It's just yeah, like in thirty three days. 437 and 402 Jews were sent to Auschwitz from Hungary. Like, these are ridiculous facts that just never really come up. And I think this is one of the big things of this documentary. You know, that it informs you on, on a lot of stuff that we just don't know but um yeah it, it's a it's it's a strange documentary because you know at that, that this is the thing it's um depicting these 11 drive motorcyclists who go from tel aviv to berlin so they're retracing the um the events of 1930 where cycle motorcyclists took the same journey to spread word of the first Maccabea games and on this journey the the riders are visiting sites that impact their families you know that that are kind of important to them so you see them stop in hungary in budapest in poland and kind of recount stories and i think the stories are probably the strength of this because it, it's what underpins everything, you know, it, it's the human impact, the, the hardship, the, the, you know, the pain, and it's stuff that, yeah, we don't know, so it's very interesting from that point of view, you know, a lot of times they bring in, like, family members, or other people meet them who were impacted by the Holocaust, you know, with, with their relatives or family. Um, there was one guy that met them um, by the River Danube with his daughter, and he tells his daughter for the first time what happened to his mother and how she was saved, you know, like, they were, she was on a truck being taken to the river, and she 
you know, was saved. And so he'd never told his daughter this story before. And uh, yeah, you there's a lot of this, a lot of kind of the these these tales, these stories, the, this this recounting of history. It's, I think, the documentary itself. It's it's nothing special. You know what I mean? It, it's it's not anything grand, it's not anything eye-catching, you know, a lot of the times you see them, you know, when they're on their bikes, uh, and they're going, and the roads are pretty empty, um, it's all pretty uneventful, you know, there's a couple of times when they got a police escort once, and then another time a, a police officer um, gave them an escort, wanted to help them get through to where they were going, but other than this, there's not really much that we see on the journey, and we don't really hear about the journey itself, you know, that like any hardships that they have on the journey, you know, about sitting in the saddle for that long, about, you know, possibly running out of petrol, or you know, like what, how that impacts them riding this journey, we don't hear that, we just hear about, like the stories when they stop, and another, like, you know, a lot of the times we hear them, the, these people, you know, saying, oh, you know, we don't, um, like, we've never understood why everyone went, which is a bit, which was always a bit curious to me, because, you know, the, these are 50-year-old people, and, you know, the, there's a kind of naivety in how, you know, they're describing things, like, they, you know, they've never understood how this could happen, how people could go without putting up fights, and I think with everything we've seen in the world, all the, the events that have happened since, just in the last, you know, decade, like the atrocities that we've seen, I, I think you'd have thought there'd be more understanding of this, so from that side, it, it yeah, it kind of, I wonder if some of the things that are said are said just for the camera, but then there's these other moments uh, where you can see the grief, you can, you know, understand the pain that they're feeling, so I think this is very important to see from a historical standpoint, because you un you find out things that yeah we've we've never known before. But I I think there there could have been more. Like you know the games itself aren't really talked about a little bit at the beginning, and then a little bit at the very end. But this is you know 
like something that you don't I'm like I've never heard of the Maccabea games but yeah the Maccabea games often referred to as the Jewish Olympics like the first one was held in 1932 and like they it used to be every three years but now after the fourth games they made it every four years and to happen the year following the olympics um yeah it, it's you know they've had more than ten thousand athletes compete in these games which is it's the third largest sporting event in the world which is, which is crazy that something like this is happening and yeah you never hear about it it's open now to um jewish and israeli athletes It would have been interesting to hear a little bit about this, you know, like the importance of this game. Like, there's the one thing that is mentioned that in the first games, no, not in the first Maccabee games, but in the Stockholm Olympics, the two Jewish athletes were replaced in the relay by um, Jesse Owens and... Um, Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the other the other black athlete at the time. But you know, it's they don't really explain that because you know, replacing two Jewish athletes with two black athletes, it's not really a bonus. You know, I mean it's it's not like the Germans were happy about either. But yeah, they don't all they talk about they just mentioned that the two Jewish athletes were replaced. But the significance of that isn't really mentioned or talked about. So I do think there are things that are missing from the documentary. But I think it's, it is interesting. It is, it's definitely an interesting watch. Um, there's a really nice poem at the end read by Larry King. And throughout, there's narration by Jason Isaacs, which does help bring everything together. There are a lot of subtitles, which is, I mean, it was a problem for me, just because sometimes you have the, the white subtitles on very light backgrounds. So it is difficult, I think, in places to follow. But... Look, if you get the chance, I would say uh, check this out. It's 79 minutes. Um, I mean, it will be in cinemas. Um, I, you know, I suspect it's probably not going to be a huge release window. But it will probably be in the more art house cinemas. I do believe the picture house is going to be showing it. And then, um, yeah, try and catch it if it comes on TV. But yeah, that's back to Berlin. Okay, so I'm here with Catherine Lurie and 
Maximilian Marco Katz, the director and the star, one of the stars of Back to Berlin, that um, is a documentary around the um, a journey from Tel Aviv to Berlin to mark um, the Maccabee Games. Um, I hope I got your names pronounced correctly. Right. Okay. Great. So, an interesting thing when I watched this documentary, I I knew nothing about the games, and I didn't know about a lot of the atrocities that happened during the war. Because it, it's a funny thing, like in school and in a lot of the books and things that I've read, it talks about mainly the things Germany did within Germany and then you get a bit of bleed over into Poland talk a little bit about um, Hungary but not too much and not to the, the extent of the numbers of the people that were um, you know sent to the camps from there um, but how much of this did you did you know before starting this documentary? Well, I, I've studied the Holocaust for quite a long time. The thing that really amazed me was Romania. I knew about Greece. I knew about Saloniki. I didn't actually know too much about Bulgaria, where Bishop Kirill saved these 9,000 Jews from deportation, but it was actually not only him. There was a member of parliament called Peshas who lobbied 42 other MPs and begged the king to stop the deportations, which was interesting because the king was an ally of the Nazis. There's always been controversy about that. But the thing that amazed me most about the film was Romania, where I didn't realize that the Romanian fascists, 400,000 people were killed at their hands without the help of the Germans. So that was an amazing. So, you know, I knew basically, and I knew about Lodge, I knew about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, I knew and Auschwitz, obviously. So there were things that I was discovering all the time as well, besides the Vikings. Okay, and yeah, because, uh, you know, the the thing in Bulgaria where the people were saved, yeah, that was very shocking to me. Like, finding out about that, especially as you said, that they were, you know, the king was allies with um, Germany. So it was like, you know, for that to happen, you just think, Oh, if only, you know what I mean? You think if only... If only other people yeah. had stood up. If only other people had stood up and made a stand against what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. And, and Marco, I, I did notice that on the ride, that was a question and a sentiment that a lot of you had when talking. Like, you know, like, why didn't, um, you know relatives and people do something like did people just go like what was the you know so what did you kind of have a journey of understanding whilst on this journey well why the people they didn't go why they didn't do something about it uh, i believe that the people at least uh, in romania you know, I'll just speak about Romania. 
like in Germany, they did not believe that uh, what happened, it will happen at that time. So they just hoped for the best. And uh, they remained. And then one day they were just surprised because neighbors and friends and people, co-workers and so on, suddenly they disappeared or they turned against them and uh, the nightmare started. That is what happened in Romania. That is what happened in all Europe, actually. So I believe that the people at that time, they were in shock. They refused, they could see, they could hear, they could read, but they just refused to accept the reality. And that is a lesson that we should learn from. In any case, as Catherine said, in Romania, almost 400,000 Jews out of the 800,000 Jews that there were in Romania before the uh, Second World War, uh, they just vanished. And uh, most of them, they vanished not because of the Nazis. We have to remember that in 1942, that was the turning point when at Vanze there was a meeting of the uh, Nazis, the governors from all over Europe in order to come up with what is called today and then the final solution. But in Romania, um, the crimes against the Jews started actually by the end of the 90. 1940, 41, even before, with uh, anti-Jewish legislation that was adopted in uh, 1938. Yeah, um, because... Can I add something? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I was told to read a very interesting book called Clamperer's Diaries, and what it actually showed was the dehumanization of Jews. First of all, they, their rights were taken away, their shops, their property, etc. It then got to the point where they couldn't go into Aryan shops. They couldn't go to a pharmacy to buy shaving kits. So steadily their rights were taken away and they became worse looking, uh, in worse situations, and they were just clinging on for any glimmer of hope. And when the world shut its doors to Jews, of Germany and the rest of Europe, and they all convened at Evian, and they shut the doors. Their life was their life had ended. Yeah, and it is, it, you know, I mean, I can't remember who it was, but at the end of the documentary, when you all arrived at Berlin, um, I think it was the the gentleman with the long hair, and he said. You know, I think that the hope is that like no more Holocaust happen, but unfortunately, they are still happening. Not to the same scale, but you know, the Kurds, the Tamils, like this thing. It's it it keeps on happening, which is just mind blowing. That you know th these crimes can just keep going like we get caught in these circles these cycles of you know hatred and heads buried in the sand and you know it just goes on and on and on uh, yeah i i mean I, I, I what think, can we do i think for me 
I think that the most alarming thing was it was done in such an efficient way. And when you got to the gas, when you had those blocks at Auschwitz, just, I think they uh, demolished all, even a little town there, etc., to fit in all these um, blocks where people worked and were killed. 1.1 million dead Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, whatever. Um, I think it's the industrialized killing part of it that makes the Holocaust unique and how in Eastern Europe they shot them in trucks, uh, or not shot them, gassed them in trucks, and that wasn't so efficient. So they, they were just so efficient in how they did it. And at Lodge Ghetto, I don't know if you noticed in the film, where they even bothered to use a ruler in red to wipe out the name so it would be neat. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking about the Holocaust and speaking about the genocides, uh, we have to keep in mind that the Holocaust was a plan put together by a government uh, with the help of the nations around. And when I say with the help, I'm saying with tacit help. I mean, some of them, they just remained passive and some of them, they were very active. So that is what is making the Holocaust so unique. And uh, the Holocaust itself, it was a tragedy that continues till today. That it's another face of the Holocaust that people, they don't realize. The six million Jews that they were exterminated in that Holocaust actually reduced Today, the population, the Jewish population, is more than half. Today in the world, there are around 15 million Jews. Without the Holocaust, we'd be around 30, 34 million people in the world. So this Holocaust uh, has an effect that continues today, and it will continue for the generations to come. Now. The plan was to exterminate an ethnic group, a religious group, and to just erase the history of this group from the face of the earth. That's why the Holocaust is the Holocaust. Unfortunately, yes, you are right. The people, the international community, uh, the new generations, the young generations, they didn't really grasp and they don't really remember what happened because you have more than 42% of the Earth's population that they don't know about the Holocaust. So if they don't know, they have no point of reference. So that's why these genocides, they are happening here and there, here and there again and again. Yeah, no, that, that that's definitely true. We can only go forward when we know what's gone before us. And I, I think that's an important thing that people need to understand and, and know what has happened. I mean, what was the main reason for making this documentary? And, and how did you become involved, Marco? So... <coughs> My, the main reason for the documentary was on having, on having 
read and studied the Holocaust and my feeling that Jews can never be the same way as they were herded into cattle carts and sent to their deaths. I believe that Jews should be different. Hang, hold their heads up high and be proud. Um, when I heard, because I did some TV work about five years ago, and I found the story of the original bikers, and I was fascinated by it. So when the following year, I heard that Germany was going to host these summer games. And I decided, looking at the 30s and looking at this period in time, there were quite a few comparables. There were, there were, lots, there were left and right wing movements getting stronger and stronger in so many countries. Uh, the haves and the have-nots in so many countries. And obviously the rise in racism, hatred and anti-Semitism. So I thought it would be a very good thing to take a new mission in the 21st century and look how the world is, was, was for Jews and how it is now and for people in general. So that is why I decided to create this new journey. So it was confronting the past and addressing the present. So I, I will uh, reply to the other half of your question, why I got involved. I got involved because uh, uh, my family. In 1941, in January, my uncle, my father's brother, was tortured and was killed by the Romanian fascist then at power. And uh, everything that it happened, it happened in Bucharest, then he, together with another 140 people, Jews, were killed in what is called the pogrom, the pogrom of Bucharest, uh, when thousands of businesses and houses and uh, Jewish establishments, they were destroyed all over the city. So. My involvement is personal. That's why when I heard from Catherine about this project, I just wanted to be in. And that's why I joined the bikers that they were arriving from Jerusalem, from Israel, and I joined them in Romania all the way uh, to the end to Berlin. Okay. So, Catherine, do, when you decided to make this, did you like think, okay, we want to get bikers to travel or... Like, who got the journey going with, with the biking situation? I had to go to Maccabi World Union um, because I used to be a big sportswoman myself um, and say, give me the torch, please, because I, would, I want to create a mission and deliver it to the opening ceremony for the Maccabi Games at the site of the infamous 1936 Olympics. So I had to persuade them. I'd only made five short films before. I think they were rather skeptical but I got the torch. And then I went to Maccabi Deutschland and made sure we were part of this opening ceremony, which we were, because we were delivering this torch. So to me, it was uh, to go through a Europe, where, which has decimated most of its Jewish population, and go back as new Jews flying the Israeli flag. And the key issue was to fly the flag, because it's debatable now, and I don't want to get too political, but it's debatable whether being anti-Israel is a new form of anti-Semitism. So we have both, both those things. 
Uh, and uh, what we found was that many tiny little remnants of Jewish communities were, rather, were very nervous of us flying the flag because they didn't want any repercussions from the rest, rest of the community. But I think why the film is different is that, first of all, it's highly educational for, for probably children above 13 years old. And it's a good way of telling a story, and it's through bikes, and they represent power and freedom, etc. But I think there's a silver lining somewhere in this Holocaust story, uh, which I've been told by an American broadcaster, is that it does have a glimmer of hope. And it was also, in a way, reconciliation with Germany, because Germany do educate their youth. And they have said sorry. Yeah? Um, and they have a close relationship with Israel today, and they help Israel. So um, I think what's quite clear in the film is, as Marcus just said, it wasn't just the Nazis. That's the sad thing. So for me, it's not just a Jewish story. It's a story about what human beings are capable of and how we must watch it and guard against it. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. And um, was Maccabee easy to deal with? Were, were they very receptive as soon as you went to them or did it take a lot of persuasion? been involved with them for a very long time it's an organization I greatly support because I I was actually the golf manager player captain for Great Britain's golf teams for two in 2005 and 2009 so I know them very well so you know I think they're happy about the film okay that that's great um and Marco what were some of the difficulties about the journey you know like um i guess the fueling of the bikes like sitting in the in the seats for so long like just and the general reception of people on on route well look such a route it's a demanding ride it's it's a very technical ride it's not a uh, you don't ride for pleasure that was uh, a mission and uh, yes, sitting on that bike for so many hours and traveling hundreds and hundreds of kilometers per day from one point to another uh, is not easy. But we were there for a mission and we wanted, all of us, we wanted to be there. Uh, you know, we, you, you have human dynamics going on. I mean, when you travel for three weeks, something like that, almost one month, and you are 24 hours with the same people around you and uh, strong personalities and different personalities then you have interaction and people that they know they don't know actually each other so it was quite quite interesting and today when i'm looking back um, i will do it again in spite of uh, the difficulties and i believe that katrin she had the one of the most uh, difficult positions there because she was conducting all this thing. There were bikers, there was uh, uh, TV, the TV crew that filmed uh, everything that is in the film. So there were so many people involved. And also having the shots and having people on uh, the roads, when you ride, you don't uh, ride uh, you know, slowly, you just ride. So 
but everything worked fine at the end everything worked fine we had no accidents we had no problems we had no uh, technical problems we got in one piece to the destination all together and that is the point we arrived and we arrived to deliver a message and when we arrived in uh, berlin you know riding on the same boulevard on the same route where the nazis were marching and riding there with the israeli flags as catherine said on the bikes and with the people cheering around for us was a personal victory we were there jews alive you know in spite of all yeah no that was ain't that was a a, a really kind of emotional part of of the piece that when you finally got there and you just saw everyone and then the 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 archive footage cutting to seeing you know the nazis marching and and it was just that juxtaposition you know of then and now and the 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 contrast the dramatic contrast yeah it was definitely a, a a touching piece of the documentary I have something interesting to tell you, that since this documentary, Marco, who wasn't a seasoned biker when I first met him, he was just a passionate storyteller, has now become a major motorbiker. So he's just been in America with Christian bikers. And Mark, can I ask Marco to tell you something? Because this is uh, this is a, a runoff of what happened with the with the uh, with the film, and how things develop and how uh, friendships are made. And in fact. We had other bikers, even Polish bikers, join us. Normal, you know, uh, bikers have camaraderie, which is also a fantastic thing. Okay. Yeah, so thank you, Catherine, for mentioning that. So, yes, uh, starting with uh, the Back to Berlin ride, um, I felt that I should organize uh, more rides that um, are a kind of manifesto against anti-Semitism, against uh, the policies that are anti-Israeli policies. Because I have to say something. Today, unfortunately, uh, about 90% of the so-called criticism of Israel, it's pure anti-Semitism. So I'm also in the favor of the unity between Christians and Jews. So in that spirit, last year I organized a motorcycle ride from London to Jerusalem and American brothers from the States, they just flew their bikes to London and they joined us all the way to Jerusalem. We were half the team, uh, half Jews, half Christians. The Christians, they were led by uh, Pastor Gary Bird from Texas and this year, together with uh, the group that was put up, another group that was put up by Pastor Gary Bird, we rode from Los Angeles to New York, the Route 66, all the way up to Chicago and then to New York uh, in support for the State of Israel. So this journey that started with the Back to Berlin continues. That's that's really impressive. I was wondering, you know, what happened next? because you see you all and the game start and you just think right so what 
what happened do, do you go home now like what what's the thing so it's nice to know that you're continuing this and will like this journey be something you do at the start of each games or is, is that something well next year in uh, the same games the european uh, maccabi games they will be held in budapest so we are now checking with maccabi uh, the opportunity of having another ride maybe from berlin to budapest uh, you know in the continuation of back to berlin uh, for the maccabi that it will take care uh, take uh, place there in, Bu in budapest in 2020 we'll have another ride in the states so yes we continue as long as we can we continue because we have to understand the holocaust and its effects it affects us till today it affects our kids it affects the state of israel it affects all the jews around the world it's not something you know that we do punctually and then we go home exactly as you said and i'm really sorry to see today people that they really care about the dead jews not caring about the jews alive so that is a message that we take with us in every place that we go and i'm happy to see christian brothers that are doing the same and they are supporting the state of israel which is the the homeland of the jewish people those jewish people that 70 years ago they were killed on the land of Europe. Yeah, no, that that that's good to hear. And Catherine, now the documentary is complete, and it's going to be in cinemas from Friday. So, what is the aim of it? What do you hope people will take from this documentary? What I would love, if that's okay, I'd love people to follow us on www.backtoberlin, that's T-A, berlin.co.uk. Um, we have a website, we, and we'd, uh, we'd love you to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, because the film is ultimately educational. So after we've done the, the, the launch here, we'll be looking at America, if I can raise some money to do that. Um, we're in 19 festivals worldwide, we're still working on that. Um, we've got a major broadcaster in America who would like to take the film on, but cut it down a bit. Um, so I think after we've tried television and more screenings, etc., the film will ultimately be educational. And someone has suggested, and we went to the Shanghai International Film Festival. It was a we we have a we have some connection now to a TV channel. They asked the most incredibly intelligent questions about the film. They found it educational. So people have asked me to start thinking of preparing a manual and a thing, you know, like a pack to go with the film, which might be good for schools. So we also have two young ambassadors from the Holocaust Educational Trust uh, who go around to schools and are helping us with our social media. So we're working very hard. And... Um, we're going to see how we, we, we're working very hard. We want to put it out there. We'd love followers. And um, we'll see what happens from there on. I think if this could get added possibly to the history 
element of a syllabus, I think that would be very important. Because, you know, when I was at school, we didn't learn about any of this. You learn about the war, but you don't learn about the complicity of the other countries. You know, you don't, you didn't hear about the Evian um, conference. conference. So none of that. No, none. Yeah, none of that is taught. So I think if if this was something that you watched, and if you, as you said, if if you had this other material to go with it, I think that would be very imp very important. I mean, have you thought about? And it's not too gruesome either. You know, it's not too gruesome that younger children can't watch it. So um, it is a, and it's a not a fun way of educating, but it's a different way of educating. Yeah, no, definitely. I think anyone could watch this. I, I, I think anyone literally of any age could watch this. Because, as you said, look, it's not gruesome, but it is educational. And there's people from different walks of life talking and giving their stories, their experiences. And I think that help, really helps get the points across to people. Like, it, would there be the possibility of maybe splitting it into, because it's just over an hour, so maybe three, pe three pieces and streaming it on, like, Netflix or Amazon or something like that? We could consider that. You could advise us. <laughs> no, we've got 75 minutes. There's a 75-minute version and a 60-minute version. So for this one broadcast in America, they want 54.6. So I've got to work out what I'm going to cut, you know, in the like shorter version. Mm. So that's difficult, but we'll try. Okay. I'd, I would like to, to add a little bit about the education. You know, I'm, among other things, I'm also uh, managing the Center for Monitoring and Combating Antisemitism in Romania. So... Uh, as a result of this position, which uh, we created 16 years ago, I participate a lot in conferences around Europe uh, related to Holocaust and antisemitism. And we speak a lot about education. The only issue is that the education is done by people to those people that they want to be educated, that they feel the need know about the Holocaust, that they know that something is wrong with the antisemitism and they want to know more. Our problem is how we get to people that there are antisemites, that they know exactly what it's about. There are Holocaust deniers and they know exactly what they are saying and they know exactly the facts. This is a huge problem. And this problem, in order to overcome it, we need to find a solution uh, through the legislation in each country because otherwise the genocides that you mentioned earlier they will go on and on and on what starts with the jews does not finish with the jews and that it's a lesson that is there on the wall so whoever designs and speaks about education should also think about the next steps what to do if the education does not bring the results that we are looking for.
Yeah, but you learn everything when you're a child, in my point of view. So if children are educated and they, even if there's insidious anti-Semitism passed on from one generation to the next, or they hear things from their parents, if they see something like this at school, it'll make some little indentation and they'll think about it. I think so. But, you know, talking about genocides, not only Jewish, uh, we met a very interesting man yesterday. And, I mean, what's happened in Iraq? There were 1.4 million Christians. Today there are 400,000. And people are being beheaded. And the Jews have been drastically reduced there who lived quite close by the Christians. So there are things going on all the time that we have to stand up for. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think by putting out things like this, by creating strong online presences with resources for people, that's some of the battle. You know, having things for people to view, having things for people to signpost people to, places for people to go to learn. I think that is definitely part of what needs to be done. So hopefully, you know, th this is a step forward. I mean, um, is there anything else that you would like people to know? Um, anything else that you're doing that, yeah, you, you just want to put the word out? We've got, as I mentioned, we've got the two young ladies from the Holocaust Educational Trust. Um, I, I'm amazed by this bunch of people. They, most of them are not Jewish, and they go to all they go to schools all over the United Kingdom educating people about the Holocaust. So we have this incredible young lady from based in London. She's doing all our social media. So if people contacted us at through the website or at info at Luria Media com and have any questions or want to know anything they can do feel free to do so so we're open to expanding the message and you know any way we can do that and telling people how we're going and and telling people how what progress we're making in different countries what we're doing that would be amazing that's that's great and i just want to thank you for your time really appreciate it um, thank you for making the documentary. Uh, Marco, thank you as well. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, so I hope you found that interesting. You know, I, I think that the interview filled in some of the gaps that I had from the review. So I think we covered the things that I wasn't sure about. We got other information. Yeah. I, I, you know, I really, I really enjoyed doing it. Um, so yeah, I hope you found that interesting and useful. But okay, so you've heard about it, and now you're thinking, all right, how do I view this film? Okay, so it opens tomorrow on Friday, the twenty third of November, and it's showing at Picturehouse Central, Art House, Crouch End. The JW3 Hampstead, Everyman Belsey Park, Everyman Muswell Hill, uh, The Real in Boreham Wood, The um, Depot in Lewes, Home in Manchester, and Dukes at Commodia in Brighton. 
Um, so yes, it opens on the 23rd. So at Picture House Central, you can catch it at 6.50. Uh, Art House Crouch End, it's at 3.40. At The Real in Boreham Wood, you can catch it at 8pm. At The Depot in Lewes, you can catch it at 315 um and two uh, or and 245 yeah and at home in manchester it's on at 10 past 1 um i'm going to post all the other times in um the description on the website but it's going to be opening on the 23rd and I'm going to give you times up till the 29th of November so next Thursday okay so remember go to the um, description of this episode and you'll have all that information um, yeah and you can follow the film on Twitter at back to Berlin 2018 on Facebook it's again back to Berlin 2018 oh and on Twitter and Facebook two is the number two so it's back number two Berlin 2018 um, and then it's on Instagram back to to Berlin film so you can have it there there's also a website which is www.back again to to berlin.co.uk and on there as well it will have all the screening information and again all of this information will be in the description of the episode okay so um yeah Make make sure you try and you know see this film. I think it's um really useful if you've got kids. I'd recommend because they're not going to learn this in history at school. You know, I I tell you that now because I I definitely did not. So um yeah, that's all the information, and um yeah, pass it on to your peoples. You know, share the shit out of this. Go see it. Okay, so we've got that time again. We're coming to the end of another episode. So we're going to come out with some uh, film news. Okay, so you YouTube Premium have started um, a new way of seeing films. So if you, you can either pay or if you want to watch the films for free... You just agree to watch them with adverts. So, the, the, this new um, pilot that they're running, there's going to be a hundred films, ranging from like the Terminator, Rocky, Legally Blonde, Agent Cody Banks, and um, yeah, you just choose. Like, are you going to pay to watch it, 
or you know watch it with adverts and i think they they they're looking to see if this is a new way in which you know they can um you know make money basically but um you know i think it all depends whether the studios are going to be in, on board with the whole thing you know are they going to show new films is this just going to be older ones you know it, it's a um you know it's something they're just trying along with um vod so you know we'll see what happens with that but um recently um some studios have been signing up a lot of new talent to produce films and stuff for them so um janelle monet you know you might know her as a singer um if if you haven't been paying attention you've missed her and she's a solid actress you know she's been in some big films um so she has signed a deal with her um wonderland pictures label a first look production agreement with universal pictures so they're looking to develop multi-genre content with an emphasis on championing the under underrepresented and um groundbreaking perspectives so um Monet is going to be starring in two of the films coming through this deal um Welcome to Marwen and Harriet so yeah also uh Natalie Doma who uh you might recognize from Game of Thrones she has signed a first look deal with Fremantle Entertainment. Um, and this is to develop scripted projects, uh, including TV dramas and film. Um, and also, Maya Rudolph, who, um, you know, she was in Bridesmaids. I mean, one of the most amazing films which she is in and look you need to go see is Away We Go. It's, it's incredible. And it's starring John Krushenkrushenkrum, um, who is big right now from A Quiet Place and uh, Jack Ryan. But um, she has signed a deal... Um, with her for her company animal pictures um which is run by herself and natasha leon and um they're developing original series for uh amazon studios so uh yeah another another deal so you know hopefully this will bring more interesting projects to um to our screens um okay so nicholas hamilton alexander ship and deron horton have scored the lead roles in the scott spear directed romantic drama endless 
which is um, being filmed in Canada at the moment. So Hamilton and Ship play two madly in love 19-year-olds separated when a fatal accident leaves him stranded in limbo. In agony, he watches her grieve until they find a way to connect and share exhilarating, deeply emotional moments that transcend life and death. The pair must ultimately accept the hardest lesson of all, letting go. I mean, it does sound cheesy as shit, right? But, you know what I mean? Happy to be surprised. But, um... Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no, um, airing date on this, so, but I suspect it will be out sometime next year. Um, and then finally on the film news, Sony have, um, let out hints of the possible dates for Morbius and the um, sequel to Venom because um, they've just announced that two um, Marvel-related projects will be coming out uh, in 2020. So they've reserved a spot on the 10th of July and then another on the 2nd of October. So, when you break it down, logically, the only films that they can be would be um, Morbius and Venom 2. Because Silver Sable and Black Cat are both on hold. And um, Spider-Man is coming out next year. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it... yeah, it has to be um, Morbius, which is, um, you know, it's in pre-production right now, and it's starring Jared Leto, and um, yeah, Venom, that it's made a shitload of, it's, it wasn't very good, but it's made a shitload of money for them, so uh, I imagine that Tom Hardy has been signed up to a multi-film contract, so they're going to be milking that one for all it is worth, so yeah, that is the um, the big film news, but let me ask you this, what has Love Actually, Elf, Home Alone, The Night Before Christmas, and Home Alone 2 got in common? Well, they will all be screened, all of these films, they're going to be showing at a new Winter Wonderland. That's right. So, Hackney Showrooms is um, transforming itself into a a Winter Wonderland pop-up screen. So, basically, love it or loathe it, it's nearing that time when Londoners trading casual wear for garish jumpers. I hate 
Christmas jumpers. They sicken me. Single-handedly devouring sharing boxes and dust off their copy of Elf after another year. Pop-Up Screens is a great believer that Christmas traditions needn't be repetitive with bit of imagination and a heavy helping of fake snow and fur essence and fur essence christmas classics can come alive in ways that you never thought possible pop-up screens will transform hackney showrooms into an enchanting alpine wonderland guests will be immersed in a pop-up screens take on narnia and enter a snowy forest through a wardrobe before sitting down for a screening of the holiday of love actually mold wind in hand this year's rep- repertoire aims to bring the wonder of christmas to people of all ages in an unforgettable festive surrounding classics include the likes of home alone the Muppet Christmas Carol, Miracle on 34th Street, The Chronicles of Narnia, and of course, Elf. Feel good romantic comedy, The Holiday, and cinematic Christmas royalty, It's a Wonderful Life, have been added to the Christmas slate this year due to popular demand. Pop Up Screens founder David. Layden says, our cinema in the snow is all about making film watching memorable and exciting for the whole family. We're excited to have added matinee screenings to proceedings this year so kids and parents of all ages can come and enjoy your Narnia-inspired set. When you were five, you wanted to climb into your wardrobe and find something amazing at the back of it. Now you finally can. And it won't be Glary Glitter because he's dead. Okay, so, yes, and if you act like an arsehole in the screen, Father Christmas will be delivering you only coal. So remember, no phones, no noise, don't act like a git. Alright, and that, it, um, yeah, it's going to be running from the, um, the 13th to, uh, yeah, the 13th to the 20, um, to the 23rd. So, um, yeah, that's December. So, yeah, if, if, if you want, um, children's tickets start at £6 and Adult tickets are going to be £10. So, um, yeah, that is Hackney Showrooms. So, I would go to their website, book up before everything sells out. And, um, yeah, I guess enjoy Christmas. Ugh, if that is possible. But, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Okay, people, I'm going to let you in to um, something that's going to be a big help. Because we're coming up to Christmas, unfortunately. And the biggest thing about Christmas is the shopping for food. Because it's insane. 
everyone goes crazy. It's difficult sometimes to find what you want. So I'm going to give you a little tip that will make this so simple. So simple. All right. So the thing is, HelloFresh are doing a Christmas box. Okay. So in the Christmas box, you can get a butter-based turkey with fresh rosemary and lemon. Pigs in blankets. So it's pork sausages wrapped in streaky bacon. Roast potatoes with a rosemary seasoning. Balsamic Brussels sprouts. Yeah, sounds good. With cranberries, pecans and pancetta. How tasty does that sound? Truffle root vegetables with cheese, garlic and thyme. Seasonal stuffing, pork cranberry stuffing balls. Slow-cooked spiced red cabbage with Bramley apple and cinnamon. Now, I've made red cabbage with apple and it is so good. So, that will be amazing. And then festive gravy, a rich and delicious gravy. And um, you can also add a cheese platter with, um, yeah... You know, uh, charcoal crackers, quince chutney, and a whole load of uh, cheese. So they do that box. They also do a box with a dessert. And the dessert is luxury Christmas pudding with brandy, butter, caramel sauce. Talk about decadent, right? And... The box comes in four different sizes. So you can get it for four people, six people, eight people, or ten people. Which is pretty damn good. Alright, so I'll give you the figures too, man. So for four people, it works out $19.99 per person. For six people... It's £16.66 per person. For eight, it's £15.62 per person. And for ten, it's £14.49 per person. So that really makes Christmas meal really affordable. But I'm going to give you a code that will give you... 10% off that box. Don't tell me I do nothing for you, people. So all you have to do is in the checkout, enter the code KEVINCHRISTMAS and that will give you 10% off your Christmas box at HelloFresh. So, I'll put this in the episode description. But, yeah, it's Kevin Christmas. Boom. Nice. I've just saved Christmas for you. You're welcome.
All right, people. Well, you've had your film news. You've had a great Christmas offer for Hello Fresh. Who can't beat taking all the hassle out of Christmas cooking and a 10% discount? So that is us for another week. Hope you've enjoyed it. Remember to go check out Back to Berlin. Um, yeah, have a fun ass weekend, people. And I'm going to check you again next week with a lot more film news and reviews. We're going we're gonna to have definitely more films to review next week. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned and enjoy it. And remember, share this with your friends, man. Leave, um, you know, a comment on iTunes, five-star rating, all of that jazz. All right, take it easy. Peace.